Hello, I'm Oliver Colling, and this is my 70s TV childhood. Hello to you all, wherever you may be listening, and welcome back to My 70s TV Childhood. We are a podcast on a mission to celebrate what it was like to be a child growing up in 1970s Britain, and to remember the central part that TV played in our lives during that decade. It was, I have to say, a great time for me, living in childish innocence and growing up, like most other children, largely happy and making the most of the lives that we had. Now, I'd like to begin with a small apology to regular listeners. Our release schedule has been slightly erratic for the last month or so, and new episodes have been released every other week instead of weekly. As you can probably guess from my ramblings, I am an amateur podcaster, and sometimes that means having to juggle priorities between this show, my day job, and family commitments. Nothing serious, but I have had a lot on for the last few weeks. And I'm also keen not to dilute the quality of what I produce for you, my listeners. So, bearing that in mind, I'm going to be releasing the next few episodes every other week for a little while, before returning to weekly episodes in the summer. Thanks for your support on this, and I do hope normal service will be resumed very soon. Anyway, let's move on to your comments and messages on some of our previous episodes. I have to say, I am very moved by the fact that so many of you enjoy listening. It shows we must be doing something right. This week, I've had some comments on our Jerry Anderson episodes and lots of feedback following our last episode on 70s sitcoms. Don't forget, I'd love to hear your thoughts on any aspects of what we cover in the show. And you can get in touch via our blog, www.my70stvchildhood.com. Tweet at 70s TV Childhood or email me directly, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Thanks to Curtis for getting in touch from the US. Curtis is the host of the RetroZest podcast at retrozest.com and enjoyed our UFO in Space 1999 episode. Appreciate your kind words, Curtis. And if any of you would like a different angle on these shows, have a listen to Curtis's episode on the subject. Now, on to 70 sitcoms. Several of you have claimed to be able to name more than the 37 shows I wrote down in one minute. So whilst I'm slightly sceptical, well done to you on that one. I've also opened a bit of a can of worms on the subject of on the buses. Whilst it seems I'm not alone in finding the show unfunny and more than a little creepy at times, many of you have much fonder memories of Stan, Jack, Olive, Blakey and the rest of the gang. I think more attention needs to be paid to the show in future episodes. And there's also the huge success of the various film spin-offs to consider, as Paul, one of our regular correspondents, has pointed out to me. The three On the Buses film versions, namely On the Buses in 1971, Mutiny on the Buses in 1972, and Holiday on the Buses in 1973, were incredibly successful. And the first film, On the Buses, topped the box office listings in the UK in 1971, way ahead of another film that was released that year called The Godfather. 
Now, what does that tell you about what our society was like in the early 1970s? There was a fashion in the 1970s to produce big screen versions of popular sitcoms. Indeed, the second film I remember seeing in the cinema after The Aristocats was Dad's Army, which we went to see as a family in Manchester. We must have been there for another reason, but all I can remember is the film itself. There are also versions of Bless This House, Are You Being Served, Man About the House, Please Sir, Porridge, and even Love Thy Neighbour. There were two film spin-offs of Steptoe and Son, both of which I seem to remember being actually pretty funny. And I think this is generally held to be the case with the On the Buses films as well, uh, being far funnier than the actual programme itself. And our UK viewers can make their own minds up, as these films regularly appear on ITV3. I was also reminded by Andrew from Glasgow that there was a spin-off series from On the Buses, which I had previously expunged from my memory, although once Andrew had reminded me, a kind of frightening memory started to come back. Don't Drink the Water starred Stephen Lewis as Blakey, who had retired and moved to Spain with his sister Dorothy, played by the legendary Pat Coombs. I remember that it was on on a Sunday night, I think, and played on every cliché and stereotype you might imagine of Brits in Spain and the hilarious antics of foreigners they came across. Now, I might be wrong on this one, but I think they lived next door to a German couple on whichever Costa uh, they were on, leading to lots of hilarious jokes about football and different cultures, which, even as a small child, I felt a certain unease about. Anyway, it ran, inexplicably in my opinion, for two series, and they managed to get 13 episodes out of what was a reasonably thin premise. Thanks for reminding me of that, Andrew. Anyway, Spain was the archetypal holiday destination for Brits aspiring for something a bit different from their summer holidays in the 60s and 70s. The age of mass tourism had arrived, and the package holiday allowed families to spend their week or fortnight's annual holiday in the blazing sunshine of the Spanish costas, sitting alongside their fellow country folk on the beach uh, and lots of Germans as well. What better way could a 1970s British family spend the summer? Now, some of you might think I'm being a bit patronising here, but far from it. The whole experience of going abroad and enjoying the sunshine was all part of increasing affluence as the 20th century progressed. Finally, after the hard times of the 30s, 40s and 50s, hard-working British families could really enjoy their summer break in the sun. My family and many others never went on holiday abroad. The reason quoted in our house was that there's so much to see and learn about in our own country. And I think that in the 1970s, my parents would consider a week in Spain as being on a par with a week on the moon as so far away it was from their own experience. So, as a result, we always went on holiday in the UK, with the exception of one year where we went to Ireland and stayed in a cottage owned by Father Ryan, the local Catholic priest at St Oswald's Church in Pedgate, who was a great friend of my father, who, as regular listeners will remember, was the local vicar. Yes, the most exotic place we went to as a family in the 1970s was Killarney. And lovely as it was, I was always intrigued by the, I have to say, small minority of my classmates who came back to school after the summer break with red faces and sunburned arms after trips to Spain or France. Our family holidays followed a familiar pattern in the 1970s. My father, who, as I've just mentioned, was a vicar, generally took all of his annual holiday in August. 
So we went away for most of the month, most years, and almost always hired a cottage, usually sourced from the small lads in the back of the church times for the whole time that we were away. Looking back, I suspect it wasn't much of a holiday for my mother, who still ended up doing just about all of the cooking and cleaning that she normally did when we were at home. We also went through a ritual every year to pack up the car with everything required for the whole month, and rest assured, we never travelled light. My father's Singer Gazelle car, later to be replaced by a Morris 1800, used to be crammed full of family and, well, stuff. As well as clothes, we took lots of food and provisions, as if the rest of the country didn't have shops, deck chairs, folding tables, cool boxes for picnics, a whole set of plastic picnic crockery and cutlery, a library of books, lots of games and packs of cards, the swing ball set. Do you remember that? The swing ball was, I think, the most brilliant garden game ever devised and provided our family with hours of fun through many summers. Although why it had to come on holiday with us is still a bit of a mystery. Most years, my sister and I had to get into the back seat of the car and have various items loaded in around us, as that was the only way they could fit into the car. I'm glad we were never stopped by the police or had an accident, as it would have taken a bit of explanation as to why I was hemmed in to the back seat, unable to move by a deck chair, a folding table and several walking sticks. Over the years, the exotic locations visited on the Colling family holiday included Northumberland, Dorset, twice, Rutland, North Yorkshire. Actually, we went to a village not far away from where I now live, which is uh, interesting, and the Forest of Dean. We even managed a trip to Scotland on one occasion, staying in a village near Inverness. Every year, there was always the expectation of what the cottage would be like and what we'd end up doing there. But on some occasions, I'm afraid the accommodation didn't quite match up to the description. One year, the cottage was full of dog hair and everything. Every surface, every plate, every knife and fork, I mean everything, was filthy, resulting in my mother, reluctantly assisted by her husband and children, doing a full, what we describe now as deep clean on the whole property. On another occasion, the house was full of mice, necessitating a trip to the local hardware shop to buy several mouse traps. but generally, they were pretty good, and we all had fun as a family on our holidays. On a few occasions, there was a dark shadow which hung over the whole holiday, and that was when we stayed in a cottage that didn't have a television. My parents said it would be good for me to do without television for a change, but I didn't like that one little bit, especially as that meant I wouldn't be able to see the special school holiday daytime programmes that the BBC in particular put on for us during the school holidays. Now, this is a subject which we've returned to several times in previous episodes. And at the risk of boring regular listeners, here's a reminder of what watching TV used to be like in 1970s Britain. We had three channels, many of us watched in black and white, and the schedules were blank for many parts of the day. The big difference was during school holidays, when the BBC put on special programmes for children on their school holidays for a couple of hours every morning. Whilst they used to show the same programmes, most of which were cheap foreign imports again and again and again, they achieved a special place in my generation's memories, and many of them are the best-remembered shows from our childhood. Remember what George said when he was a guest on our show during season one? I think the really is like how much of what I remember watching as a child, especially at sort of Christmas holidays, was actually um, imported from abroad. You know, things like you talk about um, 
uh, Robinson Crusoe that seemed to be on every Christmas, the black and white, and then also you know things like the Flashing Blade, which I think yes. was French, yes. uh, which despite having the greatest introduction to a program, I think as a childhood as I remember, uh, and just seemed to revolve around people charge around on horses from one castle to another, and then just studying maps in a turret. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing much happened, and and. If you remember, they used to be on. They used to be on again and again in the school holidays, and because I don't know how they manage the programming, we never get to to see the final episodes, so you never actually find out how it ended. Yes, yeah, so they just seem to be trapped in in some sort of Kafkaesque world where they just went from castle <laughs> to castle with no real idea of what they were meant to be doing. And Ross, who joined us for our sporting themed episode, had special memories of a boy and his dog and their jumpers. Those those kind of live action shows were very meaningful, and I think more more than anything, looking back, it, some of the black and white shows also instilled a foreign, you know, a, an appreciation for foreign lands, and gave me, you know, uh, that first kind of insight into what it would be like, you know, living somewhere else or hearing different accents or you know, what travelling what traveling would look like in the wider world. There are three shows which really did that for me. The first of which was Bell and Sebastian, which was, you know, only 13 episodes uh, made, but had this, you know, had these gorgeous black and white sequences of the mountains in, in the French Alps, which instilled in me a, a love of the mountains, which really never left. The French accents, you know, so so different. The soft, soft focus in the way that it was shot. A lot of knitwear, I remember, a lot of scarves and, and funny jumpers. As well as Bell and Sebastian, we thrilled to the white horses followed Hergé's Adventures of Tintin and saw Casey Jones steaming out a rolling as he drove the Cannonball Express in a show which must have been made in the 1950s but looked like it had been made in the 1920s. Um, I guess it was made at a similar time to another big favourite, Champion the Wonder Horse. Add to that a few dubbed Euro shows like The Flashing Blade and a few homegrown shows like The Marvelous Double Deckers, Vision On and the disingenuously named why don't you just switch off your television set and go and do something less boring instead? And you have a complete set of 70s school holiday TV memories. Or do you? I often say that I try and do this show without any research and try and rely on my memory for what I saw, what I remember, and how I felt at the time. Some of this, as Mike say, is clearly obvious from the number of things I misremember that I don't do much research. But I thought I'd do a little test and look back at what actually was on during the school holidays and see whether it matches up to my memories and what I thought. So I've got hold of the BBC listings from the excellent BBC archive and thought I'd have a look at a random week at the end of July, beginning of August, and see what was on over a number of years. Now, I'm going to start in 1972. And the reason for that is, as, as some of you may remember, I actually started school in 1972. So that was my first school summer holidays. And let's see what we can find. Okay, so 31st of July, 1972. Starts off at 9.45 with Merry Mungo Midge. As you know, one of my favourites. 10 o'clock, ah, we've got Casey Jones, Stephen and Rowling. Adventure series, very good. 10.25, Attenborough and Animals, Ants and Termites. Well, that's very good. David Attenborough, very educational. 
10.50, ah, Hergé's Adventures of Tintin, The Crab with a Golden Claw, part 11. And at 10.55, we have five minutes of the magic roundabout before close down at 11. Hmm, so that sort of, sort of is in line with our, my expectations. Let's have a look at 1973. 1973, Wednesday the 1st of August, what have we got? 9.55, The Magic Roundabout. 10 a.m., The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Oh, I remember that. That was quite that was quite scary, I seem to remember. Um, 10.25, oh, The Adventures of Tintin, The Crab with the Golden Claw. 10.30, Within These Walls, a tour of the armories of the Tower of London. Oh, very educational. And then close down. So 1973, again, uh, sort of not entirely surprising. 1974, Thursday the 1st of August, 10 o'clock, Nog in the Nog. 10.10, Whirlybirds. Now, I've forgotten about Whirlybirds. That, again, was a black and white uh, American 1960s or probably 1950s program about uh, the Whirlybirds helicopter company who, well, flew helicopters and got into all kinds of adventures uh, flying helicopters. But it was actually better than it sounds, but you have to trust me on that one. And at 10.35, we finish off with Coral World, an explanation of coral reefs around the world. Okay, 1975. Oh, Thursday the 1st of August. Oh, Friday the 1st of August. Hector's House, 5 past 10. Very good. 10 past 10, Dactari. Hmm, more veterinary African adventures. Oh, that was your lot. Close down at 11 o'clock after 50 minutes of Dactari. Hmm. 1976. Uh, 1976, Monday the 2nd of August. What have we got? 9.45. Hergé's Adventures of Tintin. Gunfire. It's not the crab with the golden claws. I don't remember that one. Uh, followed by 9.50, Jack and Ori. Ah, 10.05, Ross will be happy. Bell and Sebastian. Ah, glad to see that. Lots of jumpers. And at 10.30, Rhubarb. When Rhubarb Turned Over a New Leaf. Very good. And 10.35, Vision On. Followed by Close Down. 1977, our Jubilee year. What do we have on? Monday the 1st of August, 9.45, The Wombles. 9.50, Jack and Ori again. 5 past 10, John Burningans Around the World in 80 Days. Series of eight programmes taking a road train across Australia and a biplane across New Zealand. That sounds very educational. 10 past 10, salty. Pass. I have no idea what salty is. I'm sure one of our listeners could fill me in on that. And 10.30, we've got Roy Castle and Norris McWerter in record breakers. Very good. That's quite a nice balanced, balanced uh, slate there. 1978. 1978, Tuesday the 1st of August. 9.50, we have Paddington. 9.55, Jack and Ori again. Oh, and at 10.10, we've got Tarzan. I forgot about Tarzan as well. Tarzan and the Strange Visitors. Hmm. 10.30, uh, we've got Bell and Sebastian uh, again. I think we probably know the plot line by this stage. And finally, let's have a look at 1979. 1979, Wednesday the 1st of August. Starting at 9.30 with Rhubarb, followed by Jack and Ori at 9.35. At 9.50, we've got CB Bears. Now, that rings a bell. I think CB Bears was yet another rather low-grade Hanna-Barbera cartoon, which was sort of copying some of the others. I think they had a, a segment that was a bit like the Roadrunner in there, but I can't remember what the creature was. 
but um, not a highlight, I don't think. Followed by Why Don't You? Just switch off your television set and go do something less boring instead. And then at 10.35, if you were still watching, we had The Flashing Blade. Thank goodness for that. I thought I was dreaming it. So there we are. I think my memory's not done a bad job on that one. Just reading out those schedules has brought a smile to my face as I do it. And I'm back sitting in front of the black and white TV in the mid-70s with a seemingly endless holiday waiting ahead of me. What were your best school holiday TV memories? Let me know at www.my70stvchildhood.com, tweet at 70stvchildhood, or you can email me, oliver at my70stvchildhood.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy your summer. <laughs>